I recently tried out this new product, and if you're a bearded guy like me, you're really going to want to listen to this. It's from a Swedish company called Odinson. Their main product is this thing called the Beard Forger. It actually looks like a futuristic beard comb with a built-in battery and heat. All you do is power it up and run it through your beard a couple of times, and you'll see your beard form become straighter with fewer flyaway hairs and ends up looking really sharp. I used to struggle with having a messy beard every morning, but with this tool, I can easily fix it in under two minutes and have results that last all day long. It's been a real game changer for me, so I reached out to Odinson and asked if I could have a promo code that I could share with my friends and listeners. I'm happy to say that they thought it was a good idea, and now with code DELUXE35, you can get 35% off of your entire order when you go to odinson.com. That's O-D-E-N-S-O-N.com. So if you're ready to step up your beard game, make sure you check it out. And if you do decide to buy it, make sure you use code DELUXE35 at checkout to save 35% off of your entire order. This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. That's DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of Deluxe Edition. I am your host, Casey Shearer. Joining me, as always, the greatest of all time, L. Ray Sexton. What's going on, Casey? Not too much, buddy. We were thrown a curveball today and had a very last-minute interview. Tell everyone who we talked to today, Ray. We talked to the incredible Michael Berryman, who you may know from his many, many movies, but uh, I was fortunate enough when I was five years old to see him at the drive-in in The Hills Have Eyes. Oh, my God. You saw that at the drive-in when you that were was, five? That was my first drive-in movie. That explains so, so much. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. A great interview. Uh, just to let everyone know, I haven't edited the episode yet. There were some glitches in Michael's internet coming from parts unknown. So uh, hopefully in the editing, I will be able to take care of all that. But before we get into the interview, let me just tell you about a few things. We are brought to you by the Deluxe Edition Network. You can find all the other great shows on our network over at deluxeeditionnetwork.com and podcasts like Hilf, 
History I'd like to fuck with Don Brody and Barrel Aged Flicks with our good friends Ron, Ragnar, Stu, Chase. Chase. Check them all out. They're the podcasts of the month over at the Den Deluxe Edition Network.com. If you would like to support our show, you can go over to patreon.com slash deluxe edition pod and get some great perks over there. I will send you the show immediately after it is recorded without any editing. If you'd like to see the flaws and would like to see what Ray and I talk about before and after the show, go sign up over there. And if you like this interview with Michael, go check out all of our other shows over at deluxeedition.show. Or go buy a t-shirt over at whatamaneuver.net slash collections slash deluxe dash edition. And Ray, would you like to tell everyone the news about you? Yes, sir. Moving forward, there will no longer be a 10 cent beer night podcast. It's still on Spotify. You can still go listen to the episodes. I'm not taking them down. But moving forward, there will be no new ones. Uh, my main goal now is to help make Deluxe Edition the best it can be. And if you follow us on Instagram, you'll notice that all of my content that was being posted on Tencent is now being posted there. So yes, you'll, you'll see a, a, a much heavier social presence from us now. Yes. And you can find Ray over at Deluxe Edition Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And... We are not going to let the Ten Cent Beer Night podcast die, though. I, I have to let everyone know there's going to be like probably a monthly or bi-monthly uh, Ten Cent where Ray is the is the host of Deluxe Edition. We cannot let it die. It's wow. too good. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that works out. That's it. And here is our chat with michael berryman we are here to promote your new book it's all good a michael berryman memoir it's a great book man i read it uh, in the last couple of days but one of the things i really like about it is that uh yeah there it is is that um you're not only just telling stories about your life but you're also giving little life lessons as well uh which is i really like that about it thank you you, you get crumbs of wisdom over the years and eventually you can Assemble a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you self-published this book, correct? Yes, that's correct. Is, was that a difficult process to do? Um, no, I had some uh, I had some family and friends that uh, helped, helped me walk through it, and I had already written it all, so it's just put a question of uh, submitting it to Barnes & Noble and uh, uh, Amazon and Kindle for now. I want to try to do an audio version in the next uh, two months. Very nice. Oh, very cool. Very nice. Yeah, I was looking for it on your uh, on your website. I was hoping that I could possibly get a, an autographed copy. Maybe that maybe one day down the line that could happen. Yeah, there'll be a way to make that happen. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's in the immediate, immediate future. I'll probably, it'll probably happen at a convention. <laughs> you never know. Great. Uh, one line that stuck out to me in the book was avoid anyone who tries to bring you down and create uh, carve your own path. I read that because I've done that throughout my life. I get rid of the get rid of the excess baggage. So, I think that's true for everybody. Uh, uh, sometimes uh, we we run. You know, it's like you're on the bases and you're you're you're. you're 
you hit home, you hit home plate, and now you're sitting on the bench, you're relaxing, and you're reflecting, and you go, oh, wow, okay, that went pretty well. But you know what? Deep down inside, you you get to be with you because <laughs> you are you. And and then it's like being in a pool. You float down at the bottom and then collect yourself, and then you rise up and keep on truck. Keep on trucking. I don't know what else to do. (laughs) That's all you can do, right? So uh, you were born and raised in California. Uh, Your father was a neurologist who not only was a pioneer in his field, but examined the bodies of JFK, uh, RFK, and Marilyn Monroe after they died. I mean, so. That's that's true, yes. Yeah, just I mean that's just the start of the book. How did he get involved? Like, why was he picked to examine their bodies? That's well, that's a fair question. He uh, he, my father uh, uh, John Sloan Berryman is his name. He was a lieutenant in the Marines, at, at, and uh, then we took him. He was a surgeon. Uh, took him to a little place. Uh, it's an island, and then and there were two. Uh, Two explosions. Hiroshima, and Nagasaki. He went to Ground Zero. Uh, he took I got pictures, you know, of the shadow shadows on walls uh, and elsewhere. Anyway, he came home basically uh, radiated. He was born with a premature and a whole bunch of birth defects. Uh, so there was a connection to uh, chromosomal uh, uh, deterioration <laughs> from the get go. But that's basically uh, how things started. Yeah. Yeah. You don't. This isn't something that you touch on in the book. Now, did your father deal with any issues due to the radiation? Nothing uh, in particular, but a few years uh, after he had been doing some residency at, at uh, Los, LA, Los Angeles, my mother, um, he was working long hours and he got fatigued and came and contracted uh, polio. And there is some times when he was in, in an iron lung for quite a while and uh, it looked like that would be the end of the line. And then, you know, he, uh, uh, he recovered and uh, continued on. But um, he was a very uh, renowned neurologist in the area. And, yes, I did uh, open the front door to my house uh, in Santa Monica. And on three occasions, there was very professional, polite gentlemen in black suits and a black Lincoln parked out on the curb and my dad kissed my mom on three occasions and they drove away and he came home later and he told me all about it before he died. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Incredible, man. Like that's just, just to let everybody know, that's just one of the incredible stories throughout this book. Uh, here's another one. I, I just touched on parts of parts of the book. Cause I, I mean, we do like, we do want people to go and read the book, you know? You went to school with Red Skeletons kids? With, with whose? Red Skeletons? Yes, that's true. Yes, I did. St. Martin of Tours uh, Grammar School. Um, uh, the Red Skeleton family, we, we were friends with them, uh, just like I uh, described. And, yeah, uh, Richard was in my class, and he had, a, I think, an uh, older sister. Um, but that's that's true. The, the Hiltons and the Loffers also went to that school. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. To let everyone know, when you were a kid, you had no ambition of being an actor at all, right? Like That, no. that would be a correct assumption. That's true. Yes. I, um, 
at the time I got discovered, um, my uh, mindset was I like the forest. I think uh, homesteading in Alaska, you know, well, there's, you know, get get the best properties now because everybody's going there <laughs> um, or, or something akin to that. And um, I, I got uh, I got sidetracked after helping uh, rebuild Mark's uh, log home in Washington. Something happened. Yeah, I have that. I have that in my notes too because I've I've been a roofer for the last like twenty five years. So oh, okay. um, to read about you building a, a cabin up in Washington State and then putting on the cedar shake shingles, uh, I know I know all about it. The uh, the rid the ridge caps were precious. They were we kept you know working on the roof. We we're in our uh, mid twenties. Life is great. There's Puget Sound. Air is clean and, and two story log home. And and you're getting close to the ridge caps. And we went to the this tree, this farm where this guy actually took the uh, the the mallet and the, uh, the, cu- the the cutting bar and made his own shingles right there. See, I mean they were beautiful salmon pink and and the last ones you get to put on are the uh, you know the, the ridge caps and it, it, ta-da yeah. you know we thought that was pretty yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. So I want to go back to your childhood here for just a minute. There was an incident that I don't want to get into too much detail about with a priest. Um, Have you ever thought back, like, if that incident wouldn't have happened with the priest, do you think that you might that that might have been a path that you would have taken the to go into the priesthood? Oh no, no, no! That that, that was always my, uh, um, uh, I would say my my mother's. uh, maternal instinct, so to speak. And, oh, yeah, they'll, they'll take care of them, you know, which I understand, being a parent, et cetera, you know, special needs or however it came about. And, uh, and I, I wound up, uh, you know, taking my own path, and that's what happened, yeah. But, you know, when you're still living under their roof and, you know, to a certain degree, you, 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 you compliant to a point, and then you go, ah, this, no, this ain't right. <laughs> I was going to say something else, but it's, it's, it's not funny. <laughs> um so uh, yeah, le- uh, learned a lot, saw a lot, uh, depicted a lot in in that part of the book. I think the chapter is called "Be uh, Betrayed" or "Betrayal," I believe. But uh, you know, uh, life goes on. But w- one of the other things I, I really appreciate about the, the writing endeavor on on my side was is wonderful memories. I mean, Santa Monica, Dogtown, crying out loud, Venice Beach. You know, there was no homeless you could go to the beach or or, or to the uh, the pier uh, the pop pier santa monica pier and i believe there's a third one and you could literally sleep uh under the pier and then when the waves start surfing you then you're, you're already there at the beach and it's safe it was a different time and and, and i i like to think that that rings through as far as the texture of, of the period the time period that was my uh, one of my biggest uh, artistic uh, disciplines in writing this book uh, was to uh, uh, be true to that time and place because it brings the reader, it, it puts you in that comfortable place, like that chair in your head looking through the eyes. I mean, um, I'm very descriptive, but it, it creates atmosphere. And uh, even as uh, after learning for 40 years, I learned all the time new things. Uh, atmosphere is... Uh, is something to uh, to consider. It helps convey the concept, and it, and then you can sit down and go, "I'm in agreement with you." That's yeah. It's a shared experience. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I wish I could remember 
everything from from my time on Earth, uh, as well as that you have with the things that you wrote about. One of those memories, sneaking out of class and going to going to the Troubadour, uh, yes. going to see Joni Mitchell, and and speaking with Joni Mitchell. Man, I got I actually got goosebumps reading that part of the book. Too, and I was. i'm a huge Joni mitchell and bob dylan fan all that stuff so were you seeing bob dylan like when he was acoustic before he went electric too that is correct i i think i wrote it in my book uh if not it'll be in the subsequent book um this is about the kid's life this this memoir up to the point well you know how it, it reads it's beautiful but yes in the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium, my Marine brother-in-law told me I had to wear a, a tie and a, and a jacket, and we were going to the Santa Monica Civic to see Bob Dylan. And I go, okay, George, so we did that. Uh, I was going to wear an ascot, if anything else, saying something cool. But, you know, okay, off we go. First half of the set, uh, uh, we look at each other. We go, you know, these ties are really lame, man. So, so now we're relaxed. And here's all the Bob. There's Bob Dylan acoustic doing everything that we grew up on Bob Dylan song wise. And I go, wow, this is really cool. And the, the um, I want to say 1964 or five uh, somewhere that was the era. Well, um, he took a break. Then he came back out with uh, uh, an electric guitar and, and, and more a bigger band. And he was wearing this white uh, jumpsuit and uh, uh, it was very bright. It was very electric for the first time. I think it was a white fender he started with. And he started to play electric and, and the audience didn't know what to think of it because he was, you know, God uh, 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 folk. Uh, Bob Dylan, and they kind of, we booed him. Well, I, I, I mean, the audience was not receptive for two songs. And I'm watching the look on his face, okay? And then the third song he did, All Along the Watchtower, Electrified, blew the roof off the place. And then it was, it was great from then on. And then later in my life, about 25, 30 years later, I'm at Bob Dylan's house in Malibu for two years. I was one of his guards for crying out loud. My brother's dog had a puppies underneath the guard shack. The dog's name was Hero. The Hero puppy grew up and lived and died and chased a cougar out of the backyard. And I had a Malibu life. You know, there's, there's a lot to be uh, appreciative in your in your own life because every and your own stories. You have stories, and and certain memories are worth just uh, you know, like the TV channel, for instance. I, um, I, Lloyd Bridges, I watched uh, Sea Hunt, got me involved in scuba diving, which I really enjoyed very much and, and love it, and, and um, body surfing, etc. cetera. Um, and, and, and those memories, like when I, I think I talk about it when uh, I'm living in, in my car on the street, <laughs> um, I would uh, go uh, body surfing and, and sometimes scuba diving from the beach, and then we would surf with sea otters as we were coming into shore. That's kind of fun. Kind of make your whole day different. <laughs> but you know, a day like that, every once in a while, it's a good thing. It's yeah. a better, it's so, a better fix. <laughs> so, was the band that came out with Dylan for the second set? Was it the band? No, it was not uh, the band. Um, uh, I do believe uh, I'm correct in, in remembering that it was a 
uh, Clyde King and the gospel singers were with him on, on that. It's been so long ago, and I, I don't have the you know brochure you get when you go to a concert, but it was it was amazing. And then years later, uh, I, my first conversation with Bob is when he got back from tour, he's coming home, and I'm going to meet the guy, and my uh, German shepherd Nishka uh, walks up to him and and does a little wolf like. Hey, who's this guy? And I and I tell her, I go, uh, she's a German Shepherd wolf. And I go, Nishka's cool. That's the boss. Oh, happy, happy. Anyway, we get introduced. And while Bob is talking to me, because I worked graveyard, came out about 8 o'clock in the morning. And I go, um, listen to the radio. It was playing a Bob Dylan song. So I said to Bob Dylan, when I first meet him at his home as one of his guards, I go, hey, uh, uh, this and that happened last night. Everything's cool and groovy. But on the radio, this kid, he writes really, really great lyrics. But do you think he could have a career um, with a voice like that? And Bob Dylan just turned around and started walking slowly, bent over, looked over her shoulder and did a couple belly laughs and just pointed at me with a finger and goes, maybe, and walked away. <laughs> And it was great. And then later I told him I was at the Civic when, when we booed him, and then he did all along the watchtower. And he says, well, you were there? And I go, yeah. There was a few moments where I, I could see the, you know, the purity of, of, of your, your art. You know, it's a very arty-farty conversation. But there is a spark of brilliance that is called, you know, creative thought. And that's where – that's the zone he was in. He was in that telephone booth, you know. 99%, 1% of the rest of the world is outside when you're in that creative space. And it really shows. That's why I like live performances better than you know, studio and taping. And now that's perfect. Because um, it's more real. Uh, tactile, tactile is better. You know? And, and uh, just to go off on a small tangent, uh, uh, storytelling is, is critical. You, if you looked at um, Logan's run, the movie, the original, and compare it to where we are today, uh, see, um, I just think that people t- that write stories are... Uh, trying to tell people something. <laughs> Absolutely, man. So you were in the, the Motley Crue video for smoking in the boys room. And uh, you just said you prefer, you know, a good performance. How do you feel about Motley Crue and their whole lawsuit over the backing track situation right now where Mick's accusing Nikki, the bass player of having all his tracks pre-recorded live? Um, I haven't talked to them in a while. And, and I think Vince was the last, Member that I uh, had a face-to-face conversation with. That was at a little uh, restaurant bar in Vegas. But uh, um, I, I'm unaware of that conversation or, or that riff. All I know from them is that, uh, and we have always had uh, good times together, professionally working, doing the videos, and and uh, um, bumping into bumping into a friend once in a while as you travel. When you spend as much time at airports as we do, it's like, where, <laughs> where is home? Yeah. It, it, I know it, all it, about uh, it, man. Well, it reminds me of that little moment, like when Michael J. Fox is in uh, Doc Hollywood, and he made the phone call. He got the the orchestra violin music coming up. And it's that distant, down the road. Da, 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 and he w- would call um, when he was in uh, – after he got his car fixed, you know, he's back in California, Beverly Hills, and he's calling to hear the weather on the, the little uh, little town where he got sidetracked. See, those are, those are bridges I call them uh, that are, are, are 
con conceptually designed to move this, the story, move the story on the emotional content. One of the most important things I would say emotional content when you're dealing with conversation and or um, film or, or music. But uh, Joni Mitchell was sweet. <laughs> Going back, uh, I'll miss David Crosby. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, it's time. Uh, 81 foot run, brother. <laughs> I was coming home from doing the X-Files and uh, I rented a car and I'm driving at night. It was a nice car. And I'm driving at night with full moon on uh, Highway 101 from uh, Vancouver. Uh, all the way home, and uh, FM radio. I'm getting Canadian and, and radio, and it was Joey Mitchell uh, being interviewed live, and uh, uh, David Crosby uh, got a liver transplant. Uh, uh, when he got better and was recovering, uh, Joni says that um, he called. He he emailed her. It's the first time I heard. Yeah, he sent her an email and uh, said, "I want, I want to produce a song. Write me a song." And she, this is her on the radio. And she's like, song back. I said, "You're very talented. Write your own damn songs." <laughs> so that, <laughs> I kind of go. Actually, uh, uh, when I was at the, at the Troubadour, I mean, like I said, she is uh, approachable. And just a wonderful, wonderful experience. Yeah. And uh, Stephen awesome. Stills, you lucky, you lucky bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those are references to real people, places, and, and, and times in their life, you know. I think there were a lot of lucky people back in, back in Joni's day. Oh, um, it, I mean, so, so many great albums came out of that era. And that uh, actually, uh, that location geographically, I mean, it's just the, the canyons in that part of L.A. are, they're black. To a way over you, way too many people, but uh, but that spot uh, um, has some magic to. Uh, that's why people uh, uh, you know rent, rent a, a mansion for a while while they're doing an album or something. Uh, the money's not the question. It's it's the, well, in order to be here, uh, you have to be this tall to get on the ride. <laughs> <laughs> it's life, man. It sucks. <laughs> what I have to be an adult. I don't want to be an adult. All the time. So, <laughs> well, speaking uh, speaking of you getting a little older here, moving moving along in the book, you went you did go on to college, uh, and then after you moved back home, this this part really like stuck with me. You moved back home, and your mom wouldn't give you a key to the house. You had to either sleep in your van or in a tent out back. That's um, correct. Did you ever talk? Did you ever talk to her later in life about this? Like why why she did that to you? Uh, not after the, uh, my father passed, and you know, she eventually sold the property. Uh, there were, um, um, I, I think. Well, I believe she was uh, bipolar. That, that doesn't matter. But as far as the decisions was, uh, that that was just. Uh, um, also, uh, no, the only the, the closest that she came to articulating the, a, a reason was the fact that the, the house was going to be sold and uh, renovated. But that took like four years. <laughs> so, you know, hey, it is what it is. You know, sometimes a motivation uh, comes from familiar places or, you know, from left field. You, you never know. You just have to make a decision at that you know intersection between. 
Oh, I'm doing this. Well, you know, oh, oh okay. they just gummed up the works. No, step, you know, carry on. Yes, carry on. Um, so it became laughable. Like I said, like in, in, in my book, I talk about how you know, my brothers and I, we would sometimes, you know, I would crawl up the tree and we'd go inside and you know, smoke a doobie, watch some cartoons, have a beer <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> life is, everybody's uh, life is different. Uh, for, uh, as far as not having a residence, at the time, uh, I'm very fond of the description and the mood uh, that I place you in in Venice Beach when I meet George Powell, but I'm spending some of the nights at that cottage, which was the plant shop across the street from uh, the Gal Montfrey, very super high-end uh, antique store. But again, like I said, it's, it's the location. It's not that it soon became Beverly Hills of the, of the beach. No, that location, if you look back, like, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, photographs, it's more natural, sure, yes. But there's an attraction, there's an energy that, that's that's right. And um, you, you can never really take that away. Uh, uh, so it, it, it was a really good time. But, uh, yeah, and I like the country now these days. I'm not, yeah. not seeing my neighbor. <laughs> but, okay, yeah, you're up in Michigan now, right? Could be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Uh, Let's see. In the book, you talk about actually floating above your body twice, yeah. having out-of-body experiences twice, and Correct. you could actually Correct. hear a voice speaking Correct. to you to come to the other side twice. That's correct. Once uh, when uh, um, I had the heat stroke event and almost died, and I you know, called my father, and the other time when uh, uh, trying to buy the truck and having gasoline uh, decide my shirt was... Uh, something worth burning. <laughs> yeah, the, those are, uh, you know, some unique experiences. But, but it was the same voice, and it was the same encapsulation, so to speak. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it could happen to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it did happen. It's a, Like I said, man, it's an amazing book. I, I want everyone to, to read this thing. You mentioned George Powell, so let's talk about that. Hollywood, I've heard this over and over uh, from several people. It's sometimes just being in the right place at the right time, right? Well, that is exactly correct. You can always uh, try to deduce that what had happened prior, you know, got you some brownie points, and then everything clicks, synchronicity, whatever. Call it what you want. Bottom line is, uh, yes, and if you get a ch- if you get a chance, uh uh, go with it and do the get you know do the best job you can uh, and, and it offered oh well i can feed myself put a roof over my head uh, get some new wheels uh that sounds pretty cool uh then what happens oh uh well your next job is four months in oregon at a mental institution okay great i'm done with that <laughs> yeah an amazing career man 159 credits later here we are that's correct Amazing, man. Uh, so we, we do have a couple fan questions, and then uh, we have a new segment called Real Questions. I know you don't have too much time. Um, well, so we're still kicking. Let's, let's, let's see. What do you got? Let's do the uh, fan questions here quick. Uh, sure. Ron from Barrel-Aged Flicks. What was it like working with John Hughes on Weird Science? John Hughes had his finger on the pulse of youth, uh, that age, uh, those uh uh, issues and, and scenarios. Uh, he, he, it's like he 
he does that so well. He'll, he'll just poke a hole in the sidewall of time and, and, and put you in like a, like a time machine and it fits. You go, wow, this is what I expect in this neighborhood. Like the house, why the parents, uh, everything, uh, uh, the casting was great. The art direction was incredible. Um, so it really comes down to his, his, his vision. And he was very, very calm, uh, very calm to work with and uh, was a great, because every so often he felt it was uh, right or uh, uh, a, a good thing to do, he would offer the uh, the, the actress, uh, "Okay, you, this is your version of this. We, you know, giving you one. That's what they call it." And 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 he just had a way of pulling um, the performance out of, out of people. And, and of course, you know, the young cast there, they were just starting out, and they they were all fantastic. Uh, I enjoyed every day on the set. <laughs> awesome, man. All right. Matt Lindsay from Quad Pro Quo would like to know, was the chicken fucking scene in Devil's Rejects ad-libbed or scripted? Well, uh, that's exactly how it played out. As far as ad-lib, yes, the, the pot-bellied uh, chicken seller guy, uh, uh, he... Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he chose to uh, his own dialogue, and he he, he was happy. To, look, uh, he's, I've been around the block. He, he was very. He, I thought he did a great job, <laughs> but on the first take, uh, he, he he went off script a little bit, at, which is fine. And, and then it kind of got a little long winded. And then you can you when you watch that scene, you, there's a, there's a phase which I thought was good. Then we should have done something else. And he continues, and, and you can see the, the wheels turn in his head uh, when he starts uh, uh, upping the ante, so to speak, of the uh, chicken behavior. So <laughs> anyone to whom that would be, you know, uh, applied to is not going to go, oh, yes, those are great words. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. No, so I, I went with it, of course. He, he offered me some uh, emotional negative uh, something to chew on and then i gave it right back with the uh bringing it up and then also tc uh, my good brother good brother uh ken Forey, he's in the scene so that brings him in to work with me to deal with that and see that is some of the things um, a magic of filmmaking the storytelling and you get the visual too i mean visual and uh um, um conceptual um and it, it just draws people in so that's the magic uh, of a good director and, and a good a good cast and um um and let everything flow freely because then you get uh it's called magic absolutely man. i love that movie <laughs> it, it's it's, it's one of my favorite horror movies man so one last fan question here uh dara gaffney from the graveyard club podcast if they were to do, yeah. if they were to do a Hills Have Eyes three or make another remake, would you be interested? Oh yes, I would. Uh, I would definitely be interested, and so would Janice. So would Janice, and uh, we keep in touch, and uh, maybe even Suze. I'm not sure. uh, Suze could play uh, the psychiatrist. I do it in a heartbeat. Um, yeah. Awesome. Especially if we had some control over content, of course. Sure. Yeah. But uh, it, it could, uh, I could fly with that. I could have fun. 
Awesome, man. Michael, thank you so much, man. This has been great. We have uh, very quick little questions here. We call real questions. They're they're just uh, you have thirty seconds to a minute to answer the question, and then uh, we we put it on our shorts, and it's it's okay. for social media purposes. Okay. Um, Ray, do you, do you have one? I do. So, sir, uh, I would like to know what is your all time favorite Twilight Zone episode. Ooh. Oh, man. I, I have the whole set. Um, there was the one about a plane, the fl- flight, and then there was a number, and, and, every, and they kept going back in time. Uh, and then they got back up into uh, uh, a trough of a black hole or whatever, and they kept going in and out of time is one of my favorite. And then the other one, of course, would be uh, the henpecked husband that let – it worked at the bank, and the, the bomb goes off, and he finds the library and everything, and he breaks his glasses. It does it to him. I mean, they're all great efforts. <laughs> awesome. And then I just have one last uh, real question for you. Uh, indica or sativa? <laughs> um, well, it, it, de- it depends on are you, are you hungry or do you want to relax? <laughs> Thank you so much, man. Please tell everyone. Please tell everyone where they can find you, websites, uh, Facebooks, Instagrams, all that. Barnes and Noble, audio version soon, Kindle version soon, and tell all your friends. I need your. I need your help. Thank you very much. <laughs> we will. We will definitely be plugging this, man. I really, really enjoyed this book. Thank you, Michael. We really appreciate it. All right, now go go watch cartoons and have a cookie and a, and a, and a glass of milk. <laughs> <laughs> Will do, man. Thank you. Thank you. All right, take care. Our podcast only exists because of listeners like you. To find other great shows, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. <laughs>